Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Once on this Island. How Timon began the long journey toward the city. Some say. Some say her feet were bare and the road was long and cruel. Some say. Some say she got a ride from a vendor and he's new. Some say. The goats pulled up in a car and drove her all the way. Well, no one knows how the real truth goes, but that's what some say. Some say. But first, how are we doing? I understand that now more than ever, that question carries a bit of weight. I mean it now more than ever. I hope that you are doing well on your end. I hope that you are all taking care of yourselves. I know that I have been dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress regarding the coronavirus situation. And I'm sure that there are many of you out there listening to this episode of the podcast who are not especially interested in hearing more about that situation. If I know my listeners, I bet they're like me. I bet they are neck deep in any and all coverage, any and all news regarding that situation. And of course, I want this podcast to be what it always has been, a break from the daily stressors in your life. And we are going to keep moving forward with this project. We want to make sure this content gets to you. I'm here with Benny. Patty is understandably with her partner and their child. They are spending time together now as a family. And so Benny and I have come into the studio today. We're going to make this quick. We're not going to burn through this necessarily. We're not going to try and be glib about this week's coverage. But we do sort of want to get in and get out and then sort of tackle everything else that's coming our way. So thank you, as always, I should say, for listening to this podcast. Thank you. We wouldn't be doing it if we didn't think there was an audience out there that was expecting this, looking forward to this, enthusiastic about this. And so, yeah, okay, so we're not done with this opening segment, by the way. This is not just going to be an opening segment about the coronavirus, no. We have to talk about some items related to the world of musical theater, of course. There is the news that, uh, well, this is tied into the central issue, the issue that is central to all of our lives right now. Of course, all of the Broadway venues are currently dark due to that virus situation, but all of the venues went dark shortly after we got one piece of news regarding a brand new Broadway musical, and that is that <laughs> that news item was the reveal of Rob McClure as Mrs. Doubtfire in the Mrs. Doubtfire musical. I had been very annoyed with the marketing campaign for that show because for months, it seemed like for months and months, they kept hiding Rob McClure's face. And I'm not, I'm still not sure to this day, what is the point of obscuring Rob McClure's face in the early days of that marketing campaign? I don't understand. I don't understand if they thought people would get annoyed when they found out it wasn't Robin Williams. Do a lot of people not understand that Robin Williams has passed away? The point is that Entertainment Weekly posted a couple of photos of Rob McClure as Mrs. Doubtfire. We have that information now, that visual information. And I'm just going to say this. I think it's a, it's a disaster. I think it's very surreal to see a person in that makeup. I can't believe that we're doing two seasons in a row. We have two seasons in a row, I should say now, that involve musicals about men who cross-dress in order to get what they fucking want, to get it at all costs. And then, of course, they learn a lesson. That's the important thing. These men learn a lesson. Well, these men should be in jail. <laughs> these men should be fined, at best, dragged into a prison cell at the most. <laughs> but yeah, this makeup, this design, whatever whatever they got going on, it's like Mrs. Doubtfire has been stung by a fucking honeycomb full of bees, and I am not a fan of it, and I don't think Mrs. Doubtfire, if and when it does open... Oh, goodness, let's hope when. I, I want Broadway to come back. I, I don't want all of our institutions to shut down. Again, you can see how I'm sort of vacillating wildly between, let's all just take a breath and, oh my God, everything. <laughs> oh my God, everything. That's the, that is absolutely the mentality that I walk around with for the most part these days. Oh my God, everything. <laughs> I, I just don't think in the long run that Mrs. Doubtfire will be nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. I don't think we will necessarily wind up covering it here on the podcast because I just don't think that the Broadway community is going to give any really 
any actual tangible due attention to another cross-dressing musical about just a straight guy cross-dressing, we've done it at this point. I hate to be that guy, you know, that's like, oh, we've done it, but we've done it. <laughs> In this very specific instance, we've got it covered. We have a new, we, we've got that story on the books, all right? We're already in the process of developing Mark Shaman's Some Like It Hot, which apparently is going to debut in Chicago. So we got another one for you. <laughs> Just when you think everybody was sick to death of it, maybe, just maybe, if we gave them another one, they'd come back around and they'll they'll be on our side again. Oh, we like this cross-dressing musical. Yes, we, 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 were, we were vaguely tolerant in regards to Tootsie. We dismissed Mrs. Doubtfire, but Some Like It Hot? A new version of Some Like It Hot? Oh, all the Tonys. Let's keep moving forward. We're still in this opening segment, by the way. I want to talk about a little piece of show-related ephemera. This is not a little piece of show-related ephemera. What am, what am I talking about? This is a big piece of show-related ephemera from Roberto. Thank you, Roberto, for sending this my way. I want to play a clip, Ben, of the song that Roberto sent to us. It is a song by the group Train, and the song is 50 Ways to Say Goodbye. Can we get the opening segment of that song? My heart is paralyzed. My head was oversized. I'll take the high road like I should. My friends, that's where you are, I'm gonna say. That song is crazy! That song is crazy! And the Wikipedia page for that song, it says something along the lines of, oh, you know, some people have compared that melody line to the melody line from The Phantom of the Opera. Some people have compared it to that. Oh, you think? I'm surprised we haven't heard about any lawsuits regarding that crazy song. Thank you for sending that to us, Roberto. And then from listener Jenna, she has suggested a brand new member for the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Two, actually. Jenna suggested two people, one of whom I am bringing into the Cream Pie Cutie Club. The person that I am not granting access to is Steve Pasquale. I looked up Steve Pasquale, and no offense, Jenna, but he's just not my... He's not my cup of cream. <laughs> He doesn't whip up my cream. So, Steve Pasquale, not a cream pie cutie, I am sad to say, but thank you for suggesting Ramin Karamloo, and I think I am still mispronouncing that name. We talked about Ramin during our coverage of The Phantom of the Opera, of course. I believe he played the character at Royal Albert Hall. So, Ramin Karamloo, you are officially a cream pie cutie. Thank you very much. And here's another announcement regarding the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Harvey Firestein, you are also in the Cream Pie Cutie Club. You can turn me into a cream pie anytime you want. I kept forgetting to bring up Harvey, so thank you very much, Harvey. Thank you very much, Ramin. Welcome, welcome. And now, let's move on. Let's close out the opening segment and get the show facts regarding Once on This Island. Uh, show me the show facts. Once on This Island was a 1991 nominee of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on October 18th, 1990 at the Booth Theater and ran for a total of 469 performances. The book was written by Lynn Ahrens. It is based on the the 1985 novel My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl by Rosa Guy, and the music was written by Stephen Flaherty. The lyrics were by Lynn Ahrens. Yeah, Flaherty and Ahrens. Ahrens and Flaherty. They're back, baby. Remember our coverage of Ragtime? Oh, there's going to be some comparisons. <laughs> there's going to be one pointed comparison. Oh, much further down the line. The director of this production, Graciela Danielle. Musical director, Steve Marzullo. Choreographer, Graciela Danielle. Scenic design, Loy Arsenias. Lighting design, Alan Lee Hughes. Sound design, Scott Lehrer. Costume design, Judy Deering. And the original Broadway cast included Jerry Dixon, Andrea Frierson, Sheila Gibbs, LaShawns, Keisha Lewis-Evans, Afi McClendon, Gary McIntyre, Milton Craig Neely, Nikki Renee, Eric Riley, and Ellis E. Williams. Tony Knotts. Okay, so the production was nominated for the following Tony Awards. Now, normally I start with the awards that a given production won. Unfortunately, Once on this Island did not take home any Tony nods. No, that uh, that's unfortunate, but true. It was, however, nominated for eight awards, so let's give a rundown on those eight nominations. Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Len Aarons, Best Original Score, Len Aarons and Stephen Flaherty, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, LaShawns, Best Costume Design, Judy Deering, Best 
Best Lighting Design, Alan Lee Hughes, Best Choreography, Graciela Danielle, and Best Direction of a Musical, Graciela Danielle. Yes! Couple fun bits of trivia here for you before we move into the plot deconstruction, the plot summary, if you will. The original cast reunited for a performance in 2002 to benefit Broadway Cares and Equity Fights AIDS and the Cantor Fitzgerald Relief Fund. The show was revived on Broadway in 2017 at the Circle in the Square Theater, where it ran for 457 performances, so a comparative number of performances between that original production and the revival. That revival was nominated for eight Tonys and one Best Revival of a Musical. So there you go. Once on this island employs the following framework device for its plot, a young girl of the Antilles, frightened by the rolling thunder of a storm, is told a story to calm her nerves. The young girl soon finds herself within the story, a folktale that has been passed down over generations. It concerns Timun, who lost her parents in a flood as a child and was adopted by peasants, Mama Ureli and Tonton Julian. The island on which they live, the Jewel of the Antilles, is fiercely segregated, with dark-skinned black peasants relegated to one half, while lighter-skinned, wealthy black descendants of the French rule over the other half. This upper class is known as the Grand Dame, though everyone's fortunes are dictated by the will of the gods, whether they know it or not. Asaka is the mother of the earth, Urzuli is the goddess of love, Papagay is the demon of death, and Agwe is the god of water. Agwe spared Timun's life while his storms ravaged the island, leaving the girl to assume she is destined for some great purpose. As a young adult, Timun prays to the gods and wishes for a life beyond the confines of her peasant village. The gods bulk at her request, but a disagreement between Urzuli and Papagay leads to an intriguing question. Which is more powerful, love or death? It is decided Timun will be placed at the center of an experiment for which she will cross paths with a handsome grand dame named Daniel. Agwe kicks things off by conjuring a rainstorm, one that causes Daniel to crash his car, in a gruesome accident. That's kind of Agwe's thing. <laughs> Using the rain to kill people. That's that's really his deal. Tamoon discovers him among the wreckage and takes him back to the peasant village. Daniel, I should say, she takes him back to the peasant village. She declares, over the protests of her parents and neighbors, that she will be the one to mend his wounds. Tonton agrees to trek across the island and inform Daniel's family of his whereabouts, though after several days, Mama Ureli begins to worry something has gone wrong. While tending to Daniel, Papagay appears before Timun and announces the young man must die. Timun offers her own life so Daniel may be spared, as she has come to fall in love with him, despite his being essentially comatose. Papagay accepts the offer but vanishes so he may return at a later date. Tonton eventually arrives at the gates of the Hotel Bazome, which is owned by Daniel's family and surrounded by high walls. He is dismissed and assaulted by the hotel guards, but manages to convince a small group to return with him to the village. While on the way back, Tonton learns about the history of Daniel's family. Long story short, a Frenchman named Armand colonized the Jewel of the Antilles during the Napoleonic era. Armand bore a child with a dark-skinned black peasant, a boy who was named Bozome. Bozome grew up to lead a peasant revolution against his father, and as Armand sailed back to France, he cursed the Bozome line to an eternity of shame. This explains why the Bozomes, along with all light-skinned grandames, have come to resent the dark-skinned peasants. Tonton relates this history to Timoun, as he and Mama Ureli are desperate to convince her a life with Daniel simply isn't possible. But Timoon is equally desperate to follow Daniel back to the Hotel Bazome, as she believes she is meant to marry him. Tonton and Ureli give her their reluctant blessing to leave the village and journey across the island. Asaka watches over Timoon, ensuring the Earth provides everything she may need during her travels. No one is sure how Timoon made her way through the gates of the hotel, but she successfully introduces herself to Daniel and becomes his lover. The affair lasts for several weeks and generates a great deal of gossip among 
among the people. Daniel's father condemns the relationship, assuming it's nothing more than a flight of fancy, but Daniel insists he has fallen in love with Timun. This love is tested when the hotel throws a ball, and Timun is officially introduced to the upper class. Most are put off by her presence, though a woman named Andrea Devereaux is eager to meet her. She encourages Timun to dance for everyone, and the performance inspires the elite to dance alongside the servants. Despite a glorious first impression, Timun soon learns that Daniel and Andrea have been engaged to each other since they were children. She will never be Daniel's bride, though he assures her they can always be lovers. Gee, thanks, Daniel! Timun finds herself falling into a state of despair when Papa Gay reappears to take her life. Ah, but what's this? Papa Gay is putting a new offer on the table. If Timun is willing to kill Daniel, she can have her life and live it as if she never loved him at all. Timun considers the idea and even goes so far as to confront Daniel with a knife. But in the end, her love wins out over death. She is thrown out of the hotel and spends two weeks begging at the gates, refusing food and sleep. Daniel and Andrea marry and, as per tradition, honor the occasion by throwing coins to the peasants. Daniel spots Timun in the crowd, gives her a coin and a kiss, and walks away from her. Gee, thanks, Daniel. The gods, seemingly satisfied with, sorry, moved by the results of their little game, sweep Timun up and embrace her. To be precise, Urzuli guides Timun to the ocean so Ogwe can drown her. But don't worry, according to Wikipedia, it's a peaceful drowning. You know, those peaceful drownings you hear about so much. Ah, uh, peaceful. Papa Gay accepts her spirit while Asaka transforms her body into a tree. And oh, what a tree it is. Not only does it destroy the physical barriers separating rich from poor, it brings Daniel's son and a peasant girl together so they may love without fear. Gee, thanks to Moon! A note from Wikipedia, quote, In the script, the writers provide small line changes that can be used to remove references to skin color to accommodate multi-ethnic productions while preserving the storyline about differences between the upper and lower classes. Quote, I've been holding my tongue when it comes to this plot, and you can all be assured and earful when the time is right. Oh, <laughs> how you're gonna get it, trust me. But if you produce Once on This Island Jr. and bury the racial themes of this piece in the process, what can I say? May Papa Gay have mercy on your soul. Though I suppose that's better than staging an unedited hairspray and having your white students play explicitly black characters. Congratulations to Mark Shaman on his Some Like It Hot gig, by the way. Did I not congratulate you, Mark? I am now. For the purposes of this recording, I listened to the 1991 original Broadway cast album of Once on This Island. I also watched the original Tony Awards performance of The Human Heart and Mama Will Provide. It sort of slipped my mind how great this performance is, and so I'm obviously glad to have sat with it again this week. LaShawns and Keisha Lewis Evans have an astonishing chemistry I cannot turn away from. It is captivating as hell. Find me a better on-stage partnership. Find me a better moment than LaShawns falling in step with Evans, imitating her movements while her smile lights up the entire venue. Find me a more transparent display of love between two performers. It cannot be done. I don't want to speak at length about the 2017 revival, if only because we were recorded an episode about the touring version for Patreon, but while watching this Tony's clip, I couldn't help but compare the scenic design of the original Broadway production to that of the revival. Both are unafraid to embrace a splashy color palette, but Loy Arsenia's original design relies on old-fashioned painted flats to evoke location. These flats are reminiscent of pages in a storybook, and the landscapes they bear are gentle, almost like murals from a child's playroom. The overall effect is presentational and two-dimensional. It's as if we're being reminded this is only a story and we shouldn't cast too harsh an eye on its inner workings. We're literally painting in broad strokes. Go with it. You'll still learn a thing or two. By contrast, Donna Laffrey's design for the revival is highly immersive and tactile, plunging the audience into a 360 world that is undeniably real. When the cast speaks of Ogwe's terrible flood, for example, it's no longer a 
casual bit of exposition. Laffrey has littered the space with overturned telephone poles and assorted debris, and since this revival was staged in the round, the audience can't help but notice every scar left in nature's wake. Right, you think. People die in storms all the time. This is no longer a conclusion you can stroll past while humming a tune. It's something you're made to actually process. It gets you thinking about any number of real-world disasters. And while I was grateful for the chance to examine this 30-year-old musical from a new perspective, it also led me to reconsider... Well, literally everything else I had come to accept about Once on this Island. We'll put a pin in that for now, but oh, <laughs> oh you're going to get such an earful. I also listened to the 1994 original London cast album. Here's the thing. When I first booted up Apple Music to settle in with Once on this Island, I was embarrassed to find my original cast album was missing a few tracks. But this is exactly the sort of situation that is saved by our monthly Patreon donors. I went and bought a complete version of the original recording, and since I was already in the iTunes store, I thought, hey, why not? Let's buy the London album as well. I had never heard it. So thank you, patrons, for allowing me to make these purchases without a second thought. I do have some bad news, though, namely that the London album pales in comparison to the original. A lot of the performances are heavy-handed, the mix is all over the place, alternating between thick and two front forward, and there are many examples of people sounding flat or strained. I'm happy to have a reference for this recording. I'm happy to listen to any cast album, let's be real about it, but I cannot recommend this one, unfortunately. And finally, I listened to the 2017 Broadway Revival cast album. Album. Now, this album I can recommend. Merle Dandridge as Papa Gay, Alex Newell of Glee fame as Asaka, Leah Salonga as Urzuli Cream Pie Cutie, Isaac Powell as Daniel. Oh, gold stars all around, I say. Powell's voice is especially rich and fills my ears like buttercream. Husky. He sounds husky is what he does. I could stare at Isaac Powell in his open white button down for hours. There's a reason why he was the first entrant into the Cream Pie Cutie Club. I'm having a really hard time saying that today. <laughs> oh, goodness. But the point is that I could stare at him for hours, and I have. Let's talk about the score, Benny. Can we get a little bit of the opening number? We dance. We There's quite a lot of place setting at the top of Once on this Island, though to its credit, all of the exposition is doled out smoothly and efficiently, like it's being sent down a conveyor belt. We Dance tells us everything we need to know about the island, its people, the gods who watch over them, and most importantly, the central themes of the show. To quote the number's opening moments, quote, There is an island where rivers run deep, where the sea, sparkling in the sun, earns it the name Jewel of the Antilles, an island where the poorest of peasants labor and the wealthiest of Grand Dame play. Two different worlds on one island. The Grand Dame, with their pale brown skins and their French ways, owners of the land and masters of their own fates. And the peasants, black as night, eternally at the mercy of the wind and the sea, who pray constantly to the gods. Quote, 
If you're paying attention at all, you should have no problem understanding what Island is laying out. This is a Romeo and Juliet story. Essentially, it's a story about a racial divide. This is fundamental stuff. What's frustrating is how the show never takes an interest in diving any deeper. Instead, it merely repeats these ideas as if we stand a chance of forgetting them. Did we mention our stories about two different worlds? Yeah, you did, yes. Ah, but perhaps you forgot the peasants have dark skin and the wealthy characters have light skin. I, I did not forget, but thank you for reminding me. Two worlds! Never meant to meet! Yes, uh-huh. I'm an adult. I can process these ideas, trust me. But I don't want to get too cranky too early on. How can I be cranky when this tune is cavorting about in my head? We dance to the earth, we dance to the water. The gods awake and we take no chance. That's a delightful line of music right there. I may have a lot of problems with the text of Once on this Island, but musically we dance is kind of knocking it out of the park. Eh, let's scale back my baseball metaphor there and call it a double. This is a solid double. Now, there's a home run if ever there was one. I'm not in love with this song. I am full-on gaga for it, specifically the version we get on the original Broadway album. Why? Because no one can beat LaShawn's. LaShawn's is a marvel, she's a wonder, and this is definitively her song. There's no debate here. She's recorded a perfect performance. It's perfect. I've heard it probably a hundred times, I'll hear it a hundred more, and it always feels incredibly fresh. I'm never prepared for how much it knocks me out. When LaShawns sings, your car will stop and in I'll hop and off we'll drive, we'll drive. She's a lighthouse cutting through the darkness, the fog of anxiety and sadness that so often keeps me feeling lost. And when she sings the phrase, waiting for life to begin twice during the song's big finish, I could live within in those notes forever. This may be a number about waiting for life to begin, but I've rarely heard more active, courageous, unguarded life in a single performance. Full stop. Sure is this night leads to a sky Sure is my heart led me to be with you. Surely the gods meant
grave You must accept what is Now his life is forever mine Take mine for his What? As a reminder, Forever Yours comes at a point in the show where Daniel is on the verge of death. Tamoon has dedicated herself to his recovery, which is nice, but they've technically never spoken to each other. This duet is 100% a product of her imagination. No offense, Tamoon, but when you find yourself saying the phrase, and you are mine, to someone who does not know you and cannot hear you... That is creepy. I don't find this song to be romantic, and I don't think it's responsible to legitimize a rational fantasy. Eh, but it's a folktale. What if this folktale was about a man dragging a woman out of her car, taking her back to his home for care, and mooning over her? Would we find that charming? Do you like the idea of a man saying, and you are mine, while hovering over a woman's body? You know the answer is no. You know it. I like when Tamoon offers her life to Papa Gay so Daniel may be spared, and the only reaction Papa Gay can offer is, what? It's a wonderful acting opportunity because you can infuse so much into that one-word line. Confusion, wonder, fear, irritation. Papa Gay serves up death on a routine basis. He expects the worst from people. And Tamoon's selflessness hits him like a frying pan to the head. Eric Riley and Merle Dandridge play this moment with intelligence by keeping it small, reducing it to a shocked whisper. Clive Rowe of the London cast goes big. He's like, wow! What? Take mine for his. What? I get the sense he's pursuing an older, broader style of theater, almost operatic, but it doesn't work. The sad tale of the Bazomes is the perfect opportunity for a bathroom break. Once on this island is presented as a one-act, this you must know before going into the theater. So if your bladder's cooking up a piss potion or your ass is cranking out cigar butts, please go to the bathroom during this number. You will miss absolutely nothing. There's all this talk of intergenerational warfare and curses, but in the end, you don't really learn anything new. The light-skinned, wealthy black characters despise the dark-skinned peasants of the island. We knew this from minute one, trying to explain away their hatred by saying it's rooted in a curse. That means nothing to me. Well, they're racist because they're cursed. Okay. The sad tale of the Bazomes does nothing more than divert the otherwise straight-shot trajectory of this musical. And if you're gonna sit there and claim you don't skip over this track, I'll assume you're on. You're a liar. <laughs> a dirty, dirty liar. Tauntaun, he needs me. Without me, he'll die. He will not want you, Timon. Please, Mama. Please, Tauntaun. Give me your blessing. And let me go. I will go to him. What can I say to stop you now? Now that you've heard your drums and seen your dancers. Now that you think your heart has Many years. 
I can see myself having been on Team Tamoon at an earlier point in my life, but I'm edging into my mid-30s now, and so I find myself fully siding with Mama Uraley and Tauntaun Julian. Like, I'm not going to say people should operate from a place of total fear. I'm not saying Uraley and Tauntaun's desire to keep their heads down and stay in their place is how everyone should lead their lives, but I also don't think their pragmatism is something to sneer at or vilify. I'm also not going to say forging your own path or pursuing love or taking a risk or having faith are choices that are inherently selfish or foolish, but in this case, yes, Tamoon is being selfish and foolish. Do what you want, learn your lessons on your own time, but also eat, rest, don't kill yourself. Don't allow yourself to die in the process of chasing your dreams. Do your parents the favor of tending to your basic needs. Do your parents the favor of not allowing yourself to croak if you do anything else. What once on this island doesn't seem to understand is how wrong Tamoon is when it comes to her opinion of the gods. The gods want me to marry Daniel, Mama. Tauntaun, don't you see? They want us to be together. No, they don't. No, they don't. The gods are vain and fickle. The gods have competing interests. They were bored. They wanted to play a game, and you're their latest pawn. I don't like the gods. They're only nice when they feel like being nice, and for the most part, they're little more than puppeteers. Don't get lost in what the gods may or may not want for you. Think about what your loving parents want for you. They love you. They took care of you. They're good people. They're kind people. They might have a point. Take what they have to say seriously. Notice I said seriously, not religiously. Timoon is an adult. She can do whatever she wants. But if your parents believe you're going off half-cocked, you're probably going off half-cocked. I'll provide you rocks to soften the road. Rocks to sit on trees. To sleep underneath. Fun for your toes. To fill up your belly. To find your face. provide is a fabulous number Keisha Lewis Evans leads with the confidence and bravado of a grand marshal. This is her parade, damn it. And good luck trying to resist her voice. Did you hear that final note? That's a fuck you get a load of this note if I ever heard one. My college theater department had what was known as a musical theater tour troupe. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. If I have, please excuse me. This troupe traveled to middle schools, high schools, and retirement communities all throughout Kentucky, and oh, how we sang our songs, and oh, how we danced our dances. I was a member throughout my junior year, but my first exposure to the group occurred when I was a freshman. They performed, at that time, Mama Will Provide, and I'm fairly certain all of the performers were whiter than Christmas snow. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I remember it. They also performed a portion of The Last Midnight from Into the Woods, specifically everything that occurs before the phrase The Last Midnight is ever actually heard. The actor playing the witch... <laughs> the actor playing the witch shushed everyone. You know, that that famous shush, and the director brought the performance to an end by shouting, to be continued. <laughs> we never actually saw them perform the entire number, which is just so funny to me. What were we talking about? Oh, right, once on this island. The courage of a dreamer The innocence of a The failures and the foolishness that lead us to the truth. 
to be young and in love. The highs, the lows, the heartfelt promises and silly mistakes. Those formative coming-of-age experiences that sometimes end in death because you spend two weeks starving yourself and refusing sleep. Wait, what? Island is pretty damn good at distracting from its irresponsible underpinnings with wholly inoffensive, aggressively mainstream music. The human heart is a particularly sweet, perfume-scented, and radio-friendly diversion. But it's hard to give yourself over to it when you know what's coming in the long run. Tamoon and Daniel are in love. Oh, isn't it wonderful? He's going to abandon her, and she's going to die from grief. I cannot condone any of this. Some girls take hours to paint perfect name fragrant as flowers all powdered in prim and pale but you are as wild as that wind-blown tree as dark and as deep as the midnight sea while they're busy dressing you lie here warm and bold some girls you picture some you hold some girls take courses at all the best schools in the sugar-sweet melody of some girls and focus on what it's actually saying about Daniel as a person. Everything coming out of his mouth is wildly condescending. He doesn't view Tamoon as an equal. He barely thinks of her as a human being. Daniel views Tamoon as a child in need of teaching, a shiny bauble standing in stark contrast to his antiseptic surroundings. She is, to put it quite bluntly, a pet he can fuck. I don't care if it's a matter of him being young and naive. Daniel can eat 
my ass. He's the ultimate musical theater fuckboy. I think I've given that label to other characters in the past, but at this point, Daniel is absolutely wearing that crown. One of the things he likes about Tamoon is how, unlike Andrea Devereaux, his fiance, she doesn't make demands or have expectations. Yeah, isn't it great when a woman like Tamoon comes along and she doesn't ask you for anything and all she wants to do is have sex and change your bandages? But when Tamoon does make her needs plain, Daniel is like, Whoa, I thought we were cool, man. Where's this coming from? Um, I'm out. <laughs> Audi 5000, pew, skateboard. He is irredeemable and should have died alone in his car. There, I said it. Some girls are saying she's simple as any child. Please, Andrea. It cracks me up how Daniel is actively offended by Andrea comparing Tamoon to a child. Andrea, how dare you say such things? Only I'm allowed to call her a child. He's also immediately on board with the idea of Tamoon dancing for everyone as if Andrea isn't interested in humiliating her. Oh, good idea, Andrea. Go on, Tamoon, do your trick. She's his pet. I already said as much. Would Spike Lee be able to do anything with this piece? The idea of Spike Lee directing a movie musical in general knocks me flat, and I would be extremely interested in how he tackles this script. Can we say heavy revisions? If anyone can go deep and explore the fucked up themes of Once on this Island, it's Spike. I keep imagining his signature dolly shot during all of the gossip sequences. Ah, Spike, give us a call. Let's have a lunch. Watched over Daniel for his lifetime. A tree in which his children played. And one day, as Daniel's young son sat in the shade of the tree, he noticed a beautiful young peasant girl high in the branches, looking out at the world. And the spirit of Timur touched their hearts and set them free to love. And she stands against the lightning and the thunder. Shelters and protects us from above. And she fills us with their power and their wonder of her love. And this is why we tell the story. Why we tell the story. Why we tell the story. Tell the Story asks a question the show is not particularly interested in answering. You might be wondering, why is it important for you to hear this story of ours? It's because stories are important. Storytelling, very cool. And our story, the one you just heard, is about, uh, uh, love and pain and forgiveness. Concepts we can all... <laughs> Get behind, right? <laughs> yes, of course. Look, stop staring at us. We have nothing more to offer. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. If this isn't a man behind the curtain scenario, I don't know what is. You know, your story includes more than a few fucked out details. You might want to address those. Silence! The Great Oz has spoken! I feel like I'm kind of petering out. <laughs> we cannot allow that to happen. We have to reserve some energy for our final thoughts. You're going to get an earful. But first, a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678.
horses in a burning red barn. La 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 lulu lu, let's all sit around and make sweaters with yarn. Oh ho, ho, hello wee wee, it is me Carlotta from the Phantom of the Opera. Yes, I'm a grand diva. Oh, I sing very well. Listen to me, la I am Carlotta and I am singing my song. Low notes, high notes, low notes, high notes. You see, I did the opposite. Oh, that takes a very keen mind for music, my dears. Oh, wee wee, ciao, Bella. These are the things I say when I cozy up to my latest cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee. You know, there are many suitors and servants who come to me and they say, here, Carlotta, have a gigantic silver box of goddamn chocolates. And I say, fuck you. I do not want chocolates. And they say, how about a little fuzzy dog who goes yip yip? I say, fuck you. Turn that dog into a stole that I can put around my hands when my hands are chilly. I am Carlotta, and I only want the finest things in life. And the finest cup of coffee I have ever had, wee wee, is five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, how it warms my throat before a performance. Some people like to drink tea before they sing for the opera, but not Carlotta. I drink 16 cups of coffee, and then I run backstage in between scenes, and as my dresser changes my costume, I piece into a silver basin. Ha ha ha, wee wee! And the, oh, how the steam, how the steam rises, and oh, how it wakes up my sinuses. Oh, so here's how it works. I drink the coffee, I piss the coffee, the steam from the coffee piss clears up my sinuses. It's a 360 cycle. It's ridiculous. It's delicious. And I can only recommend 5678 Coffee to you. Oh, the small people who listen to this ad, you will never be like Carlotta. No, no, no. But you can pretend to be by drinking 5678 Coffee. Oh, 5678 Coffee. You can count on it. Oh, now, where shall I sing today? On the stage? That sounds like a good plan. Ooh, la, la, la. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 14 donuts for the baker's son. Final thoughts on Once on This Island. Once on This Island, this is the Earful, is presented, are you ready, as a musical fairy tale for children. Earful. It may concern adults and reference adult themes, but it's literally told to an onstage child. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this piece communicating to children, both intentionally and unintentionally? Aronson Flaherty would probably point to a message of love and forgiveness. If you love someone and they hurt you, forgive them. If society rejects and humiliates you, forgive society. Only those who take a chance and turn the other cheek are capable of inspiring change. Does this sound Sound about right, Aaron's and Flaherty. Is this what you were going for? Great. Here's what I'm getting from the piece. That the love you have for a person is more important than the love you have for yourself. Not to mention your basic needs. Food, sleep, forget it. All that matters is getting someone to validate your obsessive, manic, tone-deaf love. And if your love goes unrequited, all the better. The strength of your love can and most likely will inspire future generations. There is honor in throwing yourself on the train tracks of life, and if someone tries to tell you otherwise, you should ignore them. No one became a martyr by listening to their parents' kids because your parents don't understand. Parents just don't understand. They'll never understand, and if you have to croak to make your voice heard, so fucking be it. But between Once on This Island and Ragtime, it's clear Aaron's and Flaherty see value in dead black bodies. Dead black bodies point the way towards stronger communities, evolutions of the mind and the heart. To Moon wastes away, curing racism and class warfare in the process. Cole House from Ragtime is riddled with bullets, but his loss is our gain. These characters die, the audience bows its collective head in performative shame, and everyone goes home thinking they've learned something. Ah, yes, death. The great teacher. Are you kidding me with this shit? Miss Saigon assigns more value to a woman's life than this week's subject. Think about that. Tamoon's story shouldn't be celebrated or treated as a victory. It should serve as a warning to children. Do not rip yourselves to shreds and give yourself over to someone you don't know. Don't equate passion with dedication or loyalty. In short, do not be like Tamoon. I do not like Tamoon. She has no thought in her head that isn't dedicated to Daniel's wants 
wants and needs. Never mind how she doesn't care about herself, let's talk about how she doesn't care about her parents. When Mama Eureli accuses her of not giving a shit about Tauntaun's well-being, she's right. Tamoon doesn't care. She's too busy trying to infiltrate a racist society that would sooner leave Tauntaun in the gutter than listen to what he has to say. The community may celebrate Tamoon's story, but I don't think she would have celebrated theirs. She wanted to get on the other side of those fucking gates and stay on that side. Oh, I mean, what do you what do you think? What do you think? Tamoon was going to have her family and neighbors? What do you think? She was going to give them a leg up? Huh? Once she was comfortable? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. So many people go down a path of destruction and self-harm because they're consumed by thoughts of love or what they think is love. In my experience, love, that kind of love, is actually a monstrous combination of obsession and depression. I don't need any musical theater kids getting obsessed with Once on This Island if they're not capable of seeing it for what it really is, a highly problematic and regressive take on romance that's masquerading as a tropical fantasia for all ages. Musical theater kids get fixated on their favorite shows, right? I don't think I need to tell anyone here this. Oh my god, I love this show. This show is me. It speaks to me. I listen to it all the time, on rotation, constantly. They can get lost easily in a sea of feelings, and I just do not want them to drown in those feelings. You know, again, I'm very much speaking from experience. Stories have power. Island knows as much, and I don't like how it's choosing to wield the power of narrative. I mean, just think, I'm going to speak a little bit off the notes here for a second. Just consider the musicals that you listened to when you were younger. If you were obsessed with certain musicals, did you feel that they spoke to your pain? Do you feel like they spoke to your experiences? Did you in any way equate yourselves with the characters? Did your actions, were your actions affected by the art that you were consuming on a very regular, repetitive basis? I did that, and I think a lot of people do that, have done that, will continue to do that. And it's very tricky because sometimes you get lost in stuff like that, and you start to really lose the thread in regards to what you need to do to take care of yourself. And I don't think Tamoon is a good example of how to fucking take care of yourself in the face of grief and despair. Those are very hard things to get out from under. I Not Adam Carolla telling you to do push-ups for fuck's sake, but you don't, you don't allow yourself to waste away. You reach out to other people. You go back to the arms of the people who love you. She has a, sa she has a fucking safety net, a network. It's not like she was completely alone. Ugh, it just bums me out. Anyway, that's the earful, baby. That's the earful. TLDR, the once on this island, a score may often be great, and Waiting for Life is basically a perfect song, but the story and messaging on display leave me feeling bummed out, unsettled. Now, in 1991, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was the Will Rogers Follies, and the additional nominees that season were Miss Saigon and The Secret Garden. At this point, I don't know what we said during our Miss Saigon coverage. Benny, you would not have been here during all of that, I do not think. But at the time, I certainly didn't say the Miss Saigon should have won Best Musical. Maybe I just allowed the Will Rogers Follies to keep its award for the time being, and I think we're just going to do that now. I have listened to The Secret Garden. I don't necessarily remember it being super memorable, but I have a feeling that I could be wrong in regards to that. I think if I, if and when, of course, when, we will eventually sit down with it again. I'm yelling into the mic, but he's, but he's glaring at me. <laughs> Stop yelling. He's mouthing. Stop yelling. I apologize. So the, the Secret Garden probably has some secrets in its, you know, in its text and its music, some hidden delights that might push it up to the award, because I'm telling you right now, I'm not a fan of the Will Rogers Follies. I have listened to that, but we'll figure all of that out for later in the future. For now, the Will Rogers Follies, you can continue to rest easy. Keep that award. We'll move on. Let's rank the show. Let's rank Once on This Island. Now, despite all of my misgivings, despite all of my criticisms, this show did wound up, wind up, I should say, ranking pretty high. We're going to put this at number 21 between 20, Avita, and 22, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. It is not going to break the top 20. That was the boundary line I sort of marked out for myself. I was not comfortable letting it get into the top 20. So you're going to just sit right there for now once on this island. Who knows how that ranking is going to change. Hey, if you want to see how it stands up against all of the other musicals we've talked 
about on the podcast, go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod. Click on the pinned tweet. That's a Google sheet. You can click on the second tab. That's the entire ranking. That's everything we've ever talked about, baby. No show-related ephemera this week, I am sad to say. So now it is time to determine which show we discuss next. And to do that, we will need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Booze Cruise Bingo. Everyone ready? Then away we go! This is a good one. So the musical carousel did drop us off at Sugar. It must have heard us talking about Mark Shaman's Some Like It Hot. Congratulations again. So I took another ride on the carousel, and now let's see where we are. What year is it? The year is 1999. We have not talked about any of the shows that were nominated that year. So what what what, what show is it? Stop talking. Stop nattering on, Jonathan. Well, this, this show only ran for 84 performances. Unfortunately, it did not break that 100 performance threshold. It is Parade! Oh, I love Parade. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's probably my favorite Jason Robert Brown show. But here's the thing. We are actually going to take a break. That episode will be released Wednesday, April 1st. Initially, we were going to take this break so I could record the season finale of Wildcats Everywhere, a special Patreon series. And I was also going to record a special episode about the world premiere production of The Secret of My Success, which was set to play at the Paramount Theater in Aurora, Illinois. But unfortunately, all of the performances for The Secret of My Success have been canceled, so that's no longer on the table. So really, this is just going to be a week where I relax a little bit. We're going to produce that finale for Wildcats Everywhere, of course, but then beyond that, I think I'm just going to sort of kick back and try to relax in these stressful times. If you want to support the show financially, why don't you go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod and check out all of the tiers. You can donate $1 a month, $3, 5 or $10 a month. Okay, so here are all the benefits you get from these different tiers, okay? If you donate, let's say, $1 a month, you got $1 for me. Well, you're going to get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's shout-out all of those people now. These people have donated at least $1 a month. Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you so much. You're amazing people. And also, if you are a $1 a month donor, you also get bonus episodes every now and again. The subjects that we have covered in the past include, actually this is the full list, the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, my full review of Cats, and my review of Chicago Shakespeare Theater's production of Emma the Musical. Unfortunately, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we will not be covering The Secret of My Success, but if you go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, you can get a breakdown on all of the $1 a month bonus episodes we have planned for the calendar year of 2020. Hell, we're even moving into 20 21 at this point with our plans. Now, if you donate $3 a month, if you go up one tier to $3 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, and you get access to that series we mentioned, Wildcats Everywhere, baby! That's a bi-weekly high school musical podcast. The finale for that series is going to drop March 25th. We're going to round out our coverage of Disney Plus, the Disney Plus show, I should say, High School Musical, the musical, the series. Let's see you move up one more tier to $5 a month. You're getting everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. Tell me what you want to hear me talk about, yeah? You also get access to All I Ask of You, a 12-episode season. It is hosted by The Phantom of the Opera. It is an advice show. It is amazing. And you also get access to our ongoing Broadway and Chicago review series. I have reviewed at this point Oslo, Mean Girls, Once on this Island, and Summer. Now, our next episode for that series is set to drop April 1st. It is set to be about My Fair Lady, but at this point I would not be surprised if that gets rescheduled or canceled outright. So if you are a Patreon donor, please keep an eye out on that page. I'm just telling you, there are some updates more than likely in our future. Now, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, Season one of The Snow Club, 12 episodes. It's about musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Those musicals are as follows. Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahoo 
truly American psycho. Be more chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, and Superman, The Bridges of Madison County, A Doll's Life, Aida, and Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, all of that money goes toward the purchase of cast recordings. Ah, the cast recordings I purchased this week are a great example. I also rent movie adaptations of these musicals that we discuss, and you're helping to offset the cost of being hosted through Podbean. If we ever get to a point where we are bringing in $100 or more in monthly donations, I will produce M3, the movie musical man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. If you are listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please write a five-star review. Chris Eardash, thank you so much for your five-star review. We got that this week. Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, you could also be streaming the show through musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. If you are new to the show, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. I love hearing from people. I love it, baby. Connections. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny. Benny, of course, here with me today. Thank you so much. Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Ah, but, ah, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man, which is a, a reminder is dropping in two weeks on April 1st. Okay, we'll be talking about Parade. So long, farewell, Auf Wiedersehen, stay safe, and good night. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. <laughs>